we're in the book of Colossians. We've been looking at the book of Colossians really for, for two reasons. Our goals are, number one, we study the, the scriptures verse by verse because we believe the scriptures are a gift from the Lord. And, and in, in the scriptures, they will actually say of themselves that all scripture is God-breathed and is if we allow it and we take it in and we ingest it, it creates life and godliness in us. Now, we could just focus on that idea and say, we are a people that are going to give ourselves to the scripture, and we're growing in our ability to give ourselves to the scriptures, because I don't know about you, but I know what Greg Sanders is like without the Bible. I know what Greg Sanders is like without Jesus. Anybody else? Okay, you got to help me in this. Anybody else in here be like, I'm just not a great person without Jesus? How many in here like, I was awesome before him, he just added to it? This is not the place for you. We study the scriptures because they're capable of growing us, coaching us, teaching us. The second thing is we, we study the scriptures like this, we're studying Colossians like this because we wanna grow in the revelation of Jesus and who he is. I wanna grow in my ability to live the way of Jesus, how he said to live, to, so my life looks like him. I want that for all of us, and, and Colossians really, Above Everything is a book that really brings Jesus to the front and center, and Paul will elevate him. In fact, last week we, we dealt with, with chap, chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul will say that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the visible image, what we can see, of the invisible God. And I wanted to make a couple important clarifications on that verse that we, we talked about as a teaching team, I felt like, oh, we need to highlight these a little bit. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God because Jesus is God. Jesus Christ was not created. Instead, creation, Paul will teach, came through him. This is an incredibly important understanding for us as followers to grab onto. Because there is so much conversation in our day and in our time and in our culture that connects Jesus as a man to other religious leaders as almost an equal. Like there's Muhammad and there's Buddha and there's Jesus and there's all these different. And I would just love to say what Paul teaches here is that is actually a very incorrect way to think because Jesus is not another person. Jesus is God. The gospel says that God became flesh and lived among us. That phrase, Emmanuel, that we were singing in the Hebrew literally means God with us. That God became flesh to dwell among us. And Jesus was the visible image of God because he was God and he is God. What I love about this is so when I'm following him and I'm patterning my life after his way of living and I'm living the way he says to live, and I'm taking on the Christ life, I'm really patterning my life after God. I'm living like God. Think about that for a second. We're not just following some belief set. The creator of the universe who started this whole thing has given us the opportunity because of Jesus to learn how to live the way he said to live. So Paul dives in in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and says, not only is Jesus the visible image of the invisible God, he is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. 
I want to look at this sentence, Christ is the head of the church, which is, which is his body, and soak in it for a couple minutes. Paul is using anatomical terminology. He's talking about your head, like your cranium, the thing that holds your, mel- your melon, the thing that holds your brain. He's not just talking about structural headship. He's actually talking about, he's, he's painting a picture saying there's a body that is the church. We view that as the physical body of Christ. Jesus is at the head. So think about this. Let's, let's, let's work with what Paul's saying. Let's think about what the brain does naturally. Gives direction. Do you have any idea how many synaptic processes happen inside of your mind every day? Millions upon millions of processes that happen to give direction to the body. I can't do this without my brain having done a bunch of things. I can't do this. I mean, we just figured out how to get robots to do this. All these are are the brain giving direction, correct? Brain manages thought. It controls decisions. So here's a question. How many of you, like me, lay in bed at night and have a really hard time shutting this thing off? How many of you struggle to control thought life? There's things you don't want to think about, but you end up thinking about them. Anybody else? How many would call yourself a conspiracy theorist? How many have ever made a bad decision? So the brain responsible for decision making, John Maxwell, when talking about leadership, let's let's assume the brain is the leader of the body. John Maxwell will say that leadership can be really summed up easily. Good leadership is good decisions. Bad leadership is bad decisions. No leadership is no decision. So think about all the things that our minds do. And then think about what Paul says. That as believers in the body of Christ, we are governed by and protected by the one who is perfect. He's God. And that teaches me a few things. Number one, for me to embrace Jesus Christ as the head of the church will stay in with this analogy of the physical body. The first thing that tells me is I am not my own. I'm really not on my own. This idea that I can choose my own adventure really isn't true. Because I have a a brain that's governing me. It's called Jesus. He's the head. What it tells me that I love is because, follow the logic, he's first in everything, he's perfect, he's flawless, I therefore, as part of his body, have access to perfect knowledge. Think about that for a second. What if I told you prayer life isn't about being a good believer, it's really an opportunity to access perfect knowledge. You can develop an encounter with the Lord where you learn how to vet every aspect of your life and have the one who is perfect speak into it. Why in the world would we live without that? Why would I ever be willing when I have access and there's a a tutorial of what it looks like to sit with him? There's no tutorial. Yes, there is. It's actually in scripture. It says friendship with the Lord. The friendship word is paneum. It means face-to-face encounter. It means the ability to sit down and have a conversation. Friendship with God is set apart, reserved. It's a doorway in scripture. It means that I can walk into it and access something. It's reserved or set apart for those who would fear him. Who are those who fear him? It's those who live according to the way he said to live. 
And to those people, they have access to perfect knowledge. They have the ability to run the grid of their life through his voice. You don't believe me? Try it. I can't hear God. That's a lie, number one, because the scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. I would say it this way. You might not be very good at hearing God's voice yet. Why? Think about a child. Think about nature. How do children learn language? Proximity. They're around it. They're around people who are speaking this language. And we know this as they learn language, they don't step up being able to teach physics from day one. They learn how to say simple, small words. Why? Because it's, an, it's a growth curve. Could I suggest to us that learning to hear the voice of God is much the same? As we spend time with him, we learn to hear his voice. This is what Proverbs will teach, that we are literally tuning our ears to wisdom. We're learning how to hear him by repetition, by systematic time with him. And as we spend that time with him, we learn how to hear and discern, which means through the course of our lifetime, we're going to get articulate. We're going to develop an ability to hear and discern what he says so we can start making long-term, big life decisions with the wisdom of God because we've learned how to hear his voice. What if I told you five years from now you're going to need to make a decision that is dependent on how well you can hear God's voice? Would you step into and appropriate the place to learn that voice? I think you would. I think it goes without saying. We are always facing situations where we need the voice of the Lord. So because of Christ is our head, we have access to this perfect knowledge. I think it's one of the most under-talked about underutilized aspects of being the people of God. We should all be in the marketplace slaying it because we can go sit with the Lord and go, what do you want to do in this situation? You think God doesn't want to talk about business? Try it. You think he doesn't want to talk about the marketplace in your workplace? Try it. If you give him the opportunity, because of his love for you, he will speak into every aspect of your life and give you wisdom to live out. Get over the idea that you're on your own and you gotta figure it out. You don't have to do it that way. It can be done with knowledge. What does that do for our screw-ups? Well, hey, I just look in the mirror regularly and have a conversation. You're gonna screw up, it's not him, it's totally gonna be you and we're gonna work it out. <laughs> and we have a way to deal with our screw-ups, it's called repentance. It means we just say, Lord, that was so stupid, I'm so sorry, moving on. The third thing that I see that this headship of Jesus teaches me is that I can actually now, because of who he is and my trust in him and awareness that he is God, I can settle down and quit needing to question everything he says to me. I can just follow it. Colorado, more than other places in the United States, is kind of independent. We like our individuality. We, how many know this phrase, requirement brings resistance? How many know what that means? The moment somebody tells me what to do, I don't want to do it now. You can't tell me what to do. But you see, why would I live that way when the one who's telling me what to do is perfect? The logic says, Life is gonna go better for me if I quit fighting it and step into obedience, because he's perfect, he knows the end from the beginning, he sees all things, and because of his love for me, he's not gonna lead me in a wrong way, he's not gonna speak to me in a way that's meant for my destruction, he's actually working systematically to lead me to life. 
that everything he speaks is good, pleasing, and perfect. And if I can settle down that need to matter in the moment and be individual and just follow him, it's gonna go better for me. It also tells me that to be willing to disobey his directives means I have decided I am more capable than God at leading myself. Now, none of us are gonna raise our hand and be like, yeah, I'm totally more capable than God. But every time we disobey, that is the declaration we're making. Every time we would live contrary to the way of Jesus, we are making a declaration, I know better than he does. Every time we mishandle each other because it feels right, we want to, we're irritated, we're entitled, we're wrong, it's because we're making a declaration, I actually know more than God. So my challenge is to step out of the emotion, logically look at it and ask this question, do I know more than God? Because if the answer is, no, I do not, the only next conclusion is, I'm going to live based on what he says. I'm going to live the way he says to live. Now, Paul, Paul will go on and drop another bomb that I think is important for us. If Christ is the head of the church, then he's actually the rightful and correct leader of all things. So what we see is that God, through Jesus, is offering humanity an opportunity to reconnect and realign with heaven properly. How do they do that? By getting into the body. Could I suggest to us, we who are in the body of Christ, have a responsibility to live lives that are so blessed that we create this beautiful desire in the outside world to ask the question, what is going on with you that you have that I don't? That we are to be so full of joy, so full of excellence, that everywhere we go, they're wondering, what is going on with you? Who's calling the shots in your life? Because it's working. I want some of that. Because his passion is that every son and every daughter will realign properly into the body. My question for us is, do we show up at work? Do we show up in the marketplace? Do we show up in the grocery store? Do we show up on the soccer fields? Wherever it may be, do we show up with an awareness, the world is watching me to learn what it looks like to be led by Jesus. And to the level I surrender to him, they're gonna see the blessing of God that he's reserved for his sons and daughters who follow him. We have headship in our lives, is what Paul will teach. We have authority over us. We have a brain governing us, the one calling the shots. And so whatever Jesus says, church, needs to become how we operate. Now Paul will go on. In verse 19, he says, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And by him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. That phrase has been killing me this week because I see something so challenging in it. The word phrase for pleased here in the Greek is fully pleased, and it literally means to have great thoughts about something. So God, let's, let's rephrase the conversation so it makes more sense. The presence of God 
was fully pleased, excited and happy to dwell in Jesus. In other words, there was nothing in the life of Jesus that caused the presence of God to struggle to rest in him. The presence of God enjoyed being in Jesus. Jesus is our tutor. We are called Christians because we're followers of Christ. We are learners under discipline. We're learning how to live the way he said to live. That's the root of all of this. That's what Paul will say, because of Christ and our faith in him, because we trust him, because we follow him. So if he's our leader, he's our tutor, he's our coach, he's our teacher. How many of us could say, I'm following my leader, my tutor, my coach at such a level that the presence of God is fully at rest to dwell inside of me? What I love about this statement Paul makes is it tells me something. It tells me it's actually possible to live a life where the presence of God is fully at rest inside of you. That we can host the presence of God like that in our lives. No, that was reserved for Jesus. No, not true. Paul will teach about Jesus in other places that Jesus took his divinity his godliness and set it aside and was willing to live on the earth as a human so that everything he did, he would be able to say back to us, you can go beyond what I've done and do more than I've done. The phrase he says is greater things than these will you do. The word is megas in the Greek. Pretty simple, it means bigger. The idea in the kingdom is that we would step into the life of Christ and go beyond even what he did on the earth. Which leads me back to a very logical conclusion. If he could host the presence of God in such a way that the presence of God was fully pleased to dwell in him, so can we. And I would invite us to make that our goal. To begin to learn from Jesus what it looks like to host the presence of God in such a way that he's fully pleased to be at rest in us. I wanna talk about how he did that. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, Paul will say a phrase that's important for us. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit or the presence of God by the way you live. So the logic pattern is this. If it's possible to bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit, it's also possible to bring joy. If that word sorrow is the idea of causing one to pull away and withdraw and feel angst which means I could also live in a way that causes him to come into greater fullness and expression of joy in my life. And if we take this statement here in Colossians and merge it with this concept in Ephesians, we realize that Jesus is once again our tutor, our mentor, our coach in learning what it looks like to live this way. So the right question for us is, well, how did Jesus host the presence of God? Jesus will give us an understanding of his perspective about hosting the presence of God. He lives in an absolute, total surrender to the will of the Father. Whatever the Father wanted, Jesus adopted as what he wanted. How do you know that? John chapter five. Jesus will make a statement about him living on the earth. He said, look, I just do what he does and I say what he says. 
We've talked about this a lot. He lived with a government on himself to say, if, if the father wouldn't speak it, neither will I. If the father wouldn't do it, neither will I. It's a government. It's a limiter. It just says, I'm going to condition my behavior so it aligns with what the father is saying and doing. And if what I want to do and what I want to say doesn't, I just don't do it. And I think that the way we learn to do this first and foremost comes from learning the scriptures. Put away excuses. Become a student of the text, not because it makes you a good believer, but because it's where we learn how to follow him. It's where we learn what matters to him. The second side of that, it can't be just the scriptures. It's gotta be built out of an intimate, close conversation with God. And when we stay in that conversation, we stay connected in that relationship it makes it easier to learn to trust him because we're hearing his voice all the time. I think it could be really heavy and difficult for us to approach this because I don't know about you, but I know my weaknesses, I know my tendencies, I know the places where I make mistakes. And Paul knows that, that this young church is gonna feel the same way. And I love what he reminds them with. He says that God, by Jesus, reconciled everything to himself. That through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. I love the root word for everything. It's the word pas in the Greek, and it means all. It doesn't just mean people. It actually means the entire created cosmos. It deals with every star. It deals with every planet. It deals with every bug. It deals with every tree, all of it. It's you, it's I, it's other people, but it's everything. Because of Jesus, and this is what Paul's presenting to them, I want you to understand the bigness of who this is. Because of Jesus and through Jesus, all of creation is being reconciled to God. Every aspect. We could say it this way, Jesus was the answer to the longing and yearning of creation. I bet there's a conversation we cannot hear that dealt with creation understanding the cost of sin when sin entered. Understanding what perfection lost was gonna really be like. And Paul says it's through Christ all of a sudden they, creation has hope again because it understands it has been re reconciled back to God. And if he reconciled everything, catch this. There is nothing left undone. The way back to God has been paved for everything. This word reconcile means to return to a place of favor. So because of his love for humanity, by giving his son as a sacrifice, God and God alone did the work of returning everything to a place of favor. Why? Because he's kind, he's gentle, and he's in a good mood. God is kind, he's gentle, he's in a good mood. And if that's not the image or concept that comes to mind for you when we talk about God, could I suggest that maybe prior pictures of leaders, of authority, fathers, Mothers are affecting 
your understanding of the truth of who he is. I want you to sit in this idea today. You are at peace with God. He has already done the work to reconcile you. Jesus did it. That is the gospel. This is Paul's declaration that through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He returned it to a place of favor. You can't work for it and you can't earn it. It is called faith for one reason. I just simply step into and believe what he said. Let's stand.